Welcome to the Cross Loganville podcast as we begin our series through the book of James. All right. Well, good morning, guys. Yeah, this is going to be a great, great series here, and I'm so excited to dive into it with you. Hey, please, please take advantage of the, the Bible app. If you have not downloaded the YouVersion Bible, make sure you do so. Uh, I just pulled it up, again, looking at the notes for today. And so all you have to do, if you've got your YouVersion Bible app open right now, is that you go down to the bottom right-hand corner. Once you've opened it on the startup page, uh, you'll see a thing that says More. You click More. You'll see a tab that says Events. As soon as you go to Events, you can type in the Cross Loganville. And as soon as you do, it will pull up our page. And if you hit Save, then all of the notes will be saved on your phone week after week after week. Okay? So you do it once, uh, you do it once a, 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 a Sunday, if you will. Just click on there. Make sure you're, you're accessing it. Let me tell you this. On that YouVersion Bible app, all right, there is a... Uh, a place where you can look at plans or devotional plans. I want you to do this. Starting tomorrow, June 6th, we're doing Matt Chandler's uh, uh, 13-day study, if you will, devotional plan on the book of James. And so if you go in there and just hit plans, and you can can go and search, if you need any help whatsoever doing it, you're like, I don't, I don't know how to do that and where to find it. At the end of the service, my buddy Blake Baldwin right here, he has done so many plans on that thing, it's unreal. Blake will meet you over here and say, hey, I'm going to walk you through it, okay? Because he knows how powerful that tool is right there. So we want every person involved, if you will, uh, diving in to the book of James, all right? So let's do this. T- today, we're going to go about 30,000, 40,000 uh, feet up, and then next week, we're going to come back down and start to pick apart the book of James, starting in chapter 1, starting with verse 1. But today is going to be kind of a 40,000 uh, view, looking down, just overview of the book of James, which I find to be so, uh, so powerful. Lord, I pray that we would open our hearts and minds to you, and I do pray that the Holy Spirit would just have freedom in this space to minister only, Father, like the Holy Spirit can. So I, I do pray that we would be receptive to you and uh, just totally open to what uh, you're wanting to rearrange and change in our lives right now. So guide this time for your glory. For my friends that would be watching online, I just pray that you would minister uh, in a powerful way, uh, Father, to us today, and that as a result, transformation, being more conformed into the likeness of Christ, would, uh, would really happen in all of our lives. We need you. None of us have arrived. We're, we're all in process, and I pray in Jesus' name that you would use this time to grow us for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. I had an old teammate years ago make this statement. First time I heard it, made me laugh. But he said, you can only be young once, but you can be immature forever. And I thought, that's pretty much right on. And I can tell you, for a lot of us, it is a challenge being around immature people. So when you start to deal with people that are just living in a place of immaturity, what you'll find is they're very impulsive. They 
demand attention. They're known to deflect. They will not take ownership very quickly of anything. Uh, they resent the success of other people. They start getting irritated and mad when they're not at the top of the food chain, if you will. When they're not at the top of the ladder, they will resent others. Uh, one of the major signs of people that are immature, especially is they're very passive-aggressive. And uh, it's exhausting and fatiguing to be around. There's a lot of gossip, a lot of criticism that takes place uh, with those who are immature. They love playing the victim card. Uh, you want to see somebody play uh, the victim card, and, and, and it's always somebody else's fault. They do life looking out the window where they're always pointing fingers. They, they won't own up to their stuff. It's like, man, you're immature. you got, you got to grow up. We call it being stranded in adolescence, and there's a lot of people that chronologically, their age says one thing, but the way they do life, the way they see life, the way they manage life, it reveals something totally different. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, as the writer of Hebrews is encouraging people to press on deeper in Christ, he makes this statement. He goes, let us press on to maturity. Let's grow up. Let's leave the elementary teachings of Christ Let's don't just keep doing redos over here on walking aisles, praying prayers. I need to get saved. Let's start to grow in our relationship with Christ. That's the emphasis even when the writer would make that statement. And I can tell you that God's will for every person, God's will for every guy, gal that comes to faith in Christ is that they mature, is that they grow up. You don't want to be in the same place a year, two years, five years from now that you are today. And there's a lot of people that you meet that have been around church culture for a long time, but they're still spiritual midgets. They're still spiritual infants, and they haven't grown. And I can tell you that one of the core values here at the Cross Loganville is seeing people mature, seeing people grow up spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and we really do desire to see every person uh, start to experience the abundant life of Christ, and they start to walk in the fullness and the, the joy of the Lord. Now, I can tell you that spiritual maturity, uh, spiritual maturity has nothing to do with age. It, it really doesn't. It's not a chronological thing. Uh, it doesn't even uh, matter how long you've been saved. I heard it said years ago that age reveals how long you've been on the road, but it doesn't reveal how far down the road you've traveled. And there's a lot of people that have been on the road for a long time, but they've been stuck. They're, they haven't gone anywhere. I can tell you from an age standpoint, attending church is way different than contending for the faith. And even as Jude would write, let us contend for the faith once and for all that has been passed on to us. And so uh, church affiliation and, 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 and even for longevity doesn't imply that you've got deep spiritual root system that you're really growing with Christ. I can tell you that appearance doesn't imply that you've got spiritual depth. I've been around for a long time and, and you can say, well, that person right there, man, they just look mature. Or, or that person right there looks holy. I remember growing up, and uh, we didn't go to church. 
But I remember my dad this one time, and never forget this, he pointed out, and he goes, oh, that lady right there, uh, their, their holiness, I'm like, their holiness, and she had that nice looking hairdo, that bob and weave going on on top, and all this stuff, and I'm like, oh, their, their holiness, but it doesn't imply that you've got any spiritual depth. That was a denominational affiliation or whatever. There's a lot of people that may look good. You, you might even know the right jargon, and you might be able to spit out cultural Christianese, and you think, man, I got it going on. It doesn't imply that you've got spiritual maturity. And I can tell you another thing is uh, accomplishments and achievements does not necessarily mean that you've got spiritual depth and spiritual maturity. You can have a ton of money and be as lost as a, a ball in high weeds. I mean, maybe you read the Bible 10 times through. Okay, that, that's, that's good. I'm glad you're reading it. Maybe you've memorized the book of James. Maybe you've got a PhD from Liberty University. That doesn't imply that you've got deep spiritual roots. The Pharisees, they knew the scripture and had a trophy room full of accomplishments and they didn't have a clue when it came to knowing the heart of God. They didn't. So how do you measure it? If you were gonna measure spiritual maturity and spiritual growth, how would you do it? I can tell you this, and here's the fallacy of some, you, you cannot measure spiritual growth by comparing yourself to somebody else. Comparison is the death of contentment. If you think that you can measure where you're at based on where somebody else is not, that's a bad standard. You can only measure your spiritual growth against the word of God. Jesus Christ is the standard. And that's what we have to measure ourselves against, Ian. And we live in this culture where we love to just kind of brag or boast about whatever. And I've used this illustration in the past, but I think it's good. Uh, David, as much golf as you've played over the years, if me and you and Dustin and Steve Trailer went out to play golf, and all of a sudden, man, we got invited over to Augusta to play that beautiful course there, and the people around us knew that we were going to Augusta and we were going to get to play that, that, that treasured course, and we came back, and people looked at us and said, hey, man, how was it? And they're not asking, how was it? They're asking, how'd you do? Who won? And we could come back and say, man, I'm telling you what, that, uh, the clubhouse there is like none other. The locker room is so precious, and I mean, to see the, the authentic green jackets and to be able to play that preacher's corner, to see that number 16 and da-da-da-da-da, yeah, that, that's cool. How did y'all do? And I would like, well, David shot a 75, and I shot an 80, which would be a lie. And Dustin shot a 90, that would be a bigger lie. And Steve Trailer shot a 95. That would be even a bigger lie. David's got a chance of shooting a 75, maybe. But the tendency would be to look and go, David, you're the man. You scalded them. Ah, oh, really? Never asking the question, what was par for that course? You go, well, par 72. Well, reality is, you didn't play par. 
and the next dude didn't play par, and the next dude didn't play par. And if we're not careful, oftentimes we measure ourselves against others, against the standard, and Jesus Christ is the standard. I'm not competing with you. You're not competing with me. The standard is the word of God. Now, you might want to write this down. I think this is a great, great definition. But the word mature or the word grow up means to ripen. It means to ripen. And uh, Barb was bragging yesterday. Uh, our friends uh, Jack and Tamara the other day, they brought food over. Many uh, people have been taking care of food issues for us since Barb's uh, surgery. But Barb last night sent Tamara a, a, a text and said, where did you get that watermelon? She goes, that was the sweetest, best tasting watermelon. Can I tell you something? When she brought it and they cut it open, I'm like, that right there is ripe. That right there is complete. That right there is ready. And that's what the word mature means. It means to, to be ripened. It means to grow. It means to be ready. And so when you, you think about it, like even from a practical standpoint, uh, maturing in Christ means I am developing healthy, life-giving skills of being able to relate properly with God, properly with myself, and, and being able to re relate properly with other people. A person who is growing and experiencing maturation and their growth with Christ, they, they, they relate well with God's self and others. Where, where are you at with that? How well do you relate? And uh, because the book of James is Christianity 101, and the book of James is, this is what it looks like to mature in Christ. That's what it looked like. So when you start to pick this apart, James, the way he writes, much different than many of the other writers, James comes out of the gate, boom, he's in your face. I identify with him. James is in your face right out of the gate. And James's emphasis is basically this. If you're going to be a Christian, then be a real one. That's what he's driving home. Don't be a fake one. Don't be a plastic one. Don't pose. If you're going to be a Christ follower, then be a real one. And he's basically laying out that this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus is about living out your faith every day in, in just everyday circumstances with ordinary people. It's about walking with Jesus in a crooked world in a victorious way. That's what it's about. And I love this book. So, so, so today, there's five chapters. I'm going to give you five points that uh, I believe are kind of five marks of spiritual maturity. Point number one would be this, chapter one. I choose to trust God in the midst of crisis. I would say that would be James chapter one. Consider it joy when you encounter trials of different kinds, uh, all these different things that are thrown at you. I, James goes, you know what the mark of a person is walking with Jesus, pressing in? He's running to a church that's dispersed and scattered. They're under persecution. He, he, he goes, hey, consider it all joy. When, when, when you encounter 
various trials. It would be cool if, if, if maybe he wrote, hey, consider it joy if you ever go through trials. He, he didn't say if, he said when. And what he's emphasizing is this, you're, you're going to get your lunch handed to you at times. You're going to get attacked and you're going to get exposed. He goes on to say, but if you need wisdom, if you want to know what God wants you to do, ask him. He'll gladly tell you. He will not resent your questions. He will not resent you asking him. But when you ask him, be sure your faith is in God alone. Because a double-minded man, he's unstable and he is being rocked and driven and tossed by the, by, by the wind. If you're double-minded, you've got to be single-minded. Your focus has got to be on the Lord. So here, here would just be the question, right? How do you handle tension? How do you handle crisis? How, how do you handle problems? How do you handle turmoil. Back to Goff, the reason Goff is such a beautiful thing to watch is because it exposes you. You can't use one club and play the entire round. You go over there in, in, in some higher grass and you're like, I'm about to be exposed. If you ever go out and play, Craig can play. There's some guys in this room that can play. My son Benji can hit a golf ball as far as anybody I've played with. I didn't say he could hit it straight. His nickname and my nickname is Poison Ivy. We spend a lot of time in the woods. But the old cliche is you can drive for show, but you putt for dough. And, and, and the reason I like the game is throughout the game of golf, you get exposed on where is your long game, short game, putting game, and all this stuff. The reason I love life is that we get exposed every day. We might be really good in one area, but we get exposed. And, and God goes, I want to show you where your heart is. I want to show you where your faith is. I want to show you how deep uh, your root system is. I believe that if you had to just define the word life, L-I-F-E, I wrote down life equals problems. <laughs> it's like I don't want to have all these problems, but that's life. And the key to me in being able to live like the abundant life is how do you deal with problems? Where do you go with your problems? How do you process your problems, do, do, do you get uptight? Do you, do you get negative? Are, are you quick to get frustrated? Do, do you make excuses or do you gripe? When there's tension and pressure, how, how do you handle problems? And the people closest to you know how you handle problems. They know whether you're going inward and you become the the source of where you're going to lean into to try to find solutions or whether you go outward to some other friend or they know whether you trust God and you're going upward. Where do you go when you have problems? It's like, what is your attitude like when things don't go your way? 
Do you whine? Do you complain? Are you still a baby? Are you known for gratitude or are you known for grumbling? Verse 12 of chapter 1, we're still in chapter 1. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man who consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Oh, blessed is that man, for once he has been approved, approved by God, he will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised. I, I want you to get this, the word trial, and you, 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 there's all these different words in Scripture, right? Like test and temptation, and we've defined them, but trial. Trials are there to purify us, to approve us, to improve us, to reprove us. When God allows us to go through suffering and adversity, a lot of times we're wanting God to get us out of the storm, out of the trial, out of the pressure cooker. But what James is saying, I love this chat, I love it. That, that, that trial is there. I want you to persevere because I'm desiring to purify your faith and eliminate a lot of these foreign, like gods you're still worshiping and some of this idol stuff you still got going on. It sneaks in so easy. And I'm, I want you to persevere because I want to approve you. I want to approve you so that I can use you. Or... I'm going, I'm going to let you go through this trial because I, I, I want to improve you. There, there's some things in your life that need improvement, rearrangement. I, I want you to go through it. Or I want to reprove you. You're out of bounds. And uh, uh, we've got to correct some things. So how do you handle problems and tension and crisis? Well, what, what do you do? Because it reveals to us so much about our faith. We, we can blame everybody else when all hell breaks loose and things start getting crazy, but reality is, starting with a man in the mirror here, what, what are you wanting to teach me? Here, here's a second one, which I believe the first one gives birth Chapter 1 gives birth kind of to the chapter 2 teaching, and I would tell you this. Chapter 2 is, uh, I, I'm sensitive to other people. That's chapter 2. Fulfill the royal law, the royal command, according to Scripture. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, people would never even Think this, but when you show partiality, he says, you are committing sin. I thought sin was like robbery and adultery and, and drunkenness. No, no, when you are partial, when you treat, and he even breaks this down, when you've got this person coming into the church that you know has a huge bankroll, and then you've got this broke dude coming in, and you gravitate toward the wealth, but you neglect. That's, that's sin. When you show partiality, he goes, you've got to stop it. 
which, which it means, and we did this teaching a few weeks ago, overcoming me, but, but it really literally means I'm not consumed with me. My definition of intimacy is not into me, see. That's a bad definition of intimacy. I'm not consumed with me. I notice other people. I'm aware of other people. I see other people. I start to lean in and understand their hurts. I understand their, their depravity, their humanity, their flesh patterns that they struggle with. It's not a I want, I got to have, it's all about me. Loving others and caring about others is a mark of spiritual maturity, maturation. If you read verses 1 through 6, it basically says, don't show favoritism. Don't, Don't look down on people. Don't judge by appearance. Don't slight people. Don't take advantage of people. Don't don't dog your neighbor. Don't be ridiculous with other people. That that, that dude's got a story just like you have a story, and you you don't know the pain and the abuse and the turmoil, and love him. Hold him accountable, but try to help him. And that's what James is saying. Hey, how you treat other people matters, and how you treat other people is a revealer, an indicator of how deep your faith walk is. So we say get involved in community. Get, please get involved with a small group. You start doing life with other people, people that are different than you, people that dress different, people that are at a different place financially, pe- pe- just get involved with community and, and try to help each other and do life on life. I can tell you in the 35 plus years of walking with Jesus, I value life support. I value support from my brothers and my sisters. I, I do need that. And, and we're all part of the same human fraternity. If, if you really just strip it down, Think about this. And this is something that's driven me over the years. But it's like, I'm no better than you, Liz, and you're no better than me. We're part of the same fraternity here. How? Because of origination. God made you in his image. God made me in his image. God made the biggest fool on the planet in his image. And you've been created in the image of God. Every person I meet, origination, bam, made by God. Every person I meet, contamination. Sin screwed you up, sin screwed me up. Where we went with our sin might have differed, but I was born into the world a sinner. No, you were born a baby. No, I was born a sinner. I was born jacked up, messed up, and my flesh gravitated toward things. It shouldn't. Every person I meet, they're just like me, contamination. Every person we meet, destination, is appointed for you to die. It's appointed for me to die. So, Dave, when we look at it, origination, contamination, destination, every person I meet, 
It's appointed a man to die and then stand before God. They're, they're going to die one day. Yes, I'm in the same fraternity. I'm no better than you because of God's provision of salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus died for every person. I'm no better than you. He died for you too. The blood that was shed on Calvary, he loves. I'm no better than you. Because even after coming to faith in Christ, there's a thing called progressive sanctification. And God is sanctifying me every day. He's never looked at me and said, cash money, your tassel is turned, dude. You are a finished product. He looks at me, Tommy, and says, I've started a good work in you. Now let me continue my work in you. I'm not done with you yet. And every person I meet, Alan, we can be in our mid-70s, and God goes, I'm still at work both to will and to act according to my good pleasure. We meet people oftentimes and get mad at them for where they are, but we never get mad at ourselves for where we are. And, 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 and I just really do think, like James is going, stop, stop, stop. Oh, you love Andrew? I love, I love Andrew, yes. Hey, you love Kenny? I love Kenny. You, you love Orlando? I love Orlando. Hey, Cash, they're trying to figure it out every day. Extend some grace. Oh, oh, by the way, while you're extending grace to them, extend some grace to you because you're still in process. I'm sanctifying you a little bit more today than I did yesterday. Come on, somebody. This stuff will preach right here. Here's a third point. If you get into chapter 3, and I know this doesn't apply, but maybe to one or two people in the room, but I've got to talk about this one. Point number three, I'm able to control my mouth. I don't know what two or three that applies to. Come on, somebody. But he says in chapter three, we all stumble in many ways. We all I would circle all stumble in many ways. And then he goes, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's perfect. He's able to bridle the entire body as well. I, I was studying this. This is one of the coolest definitions I've come across in a long time. Here's a working definition of gossip. Hearing something you like about somebody you don't. Y'all didn't hear me. Gossip is hearing something you like about somebody you don't. Now, heartbreak is when I hear something I don't like about somebody I do love that... Stop it. And you can see people almost get pumped up at times when the so-called enemy of theirs, somebody comes and goes, you ain't going to believe what I heard about. Uh-huh. 
when, when, when you like hearing something about somebody you don't like, you've got major issues and need to repent. Gossip is talking about people's people's lives behind their backs, and you're like, that's gossip. I'd never say it to their face. Gossip. I, I'm not going to come to you. I'm going to go behind your back. Flattery is when I would come up and butter you up to your face, but I'd never brag on you behind your, your back. That critical spirit, it's one thing to have a critical eye and go, man, I'm discerning some stuff, but when you lean into that critical spirit and you start to damn and condemn and judge and ridicule that individual, so you look at gossip and slander and criticism and all this kind of stuff, right? Triangulating is something that we talk about here. It's like me and, e, me and Ian have a problem and he and I got some tension going on. But instead of me being person A, going to person B, Ian, and going, Ian, we need to talk, I come over here to person C and go, Blake, let me tell you what's going on. And I'm not going to Blake for counsel, but I'm going to Blake to slander him. I've created this, I've created this triangle because my problem is with person B and P, B's got a problem with A, but now we go to C, and before you know it, we've gone through the whole stinking alphabet because we go to D, E, and we created all these jacked up triangles, and relationships become disposable. And, and Jesus said, Hey, if you've got a problem with somebody, go to them. You, you want to hear what I think? I believe. Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, self-control. I believe self-control is tongue control. Because we get ourselves into so much trouble with what we say and with how we say what we say. And James even says, do you, do you not realize your tongue is like a rudder? It's like a bit. It's like a spark. So that's a whole forest on fire. It's like a spring of water. He goes, look at your tongue. It, it, it's like, you, ever, you, you put a bit, it might weigh a pound, into a horse's mouth. The horse probably weighs seven, 800 pounds. But with that bit, you can control that horse. That little thing, that little rudder on the back of that ship in comparison to size, oh, it controls the ship. It's like that steering wheel. Neil, when Ethan was over the other day and he took Barb for a ride in the car before a surgery and he pushed a button and the steering wheel pops off, I was like, that's pretty sweet. My Tundra don't do that. But that steering wheel is small, but it controls. And your tongue is small compared to the rest of the body. And your tongue can either direct your life in a powerful way or it can destroy your life. It's like be careful with what you say. Life and death. It's in the power of the And you ever heard anybody almost boast proudfully and say, 
I just say whatever's on my mind. You, you ever anybody just boastfully with pride? Well, well, I just say whatever's on my mind. Well, you got multiple issues. One, I'm sad that you're that stupid. Two, if you get your mind cleaned up, the mouth kind of follows. The mind is kind of the engine. The mouth becomes the caboose. You can't clean up your mind without getting your heart, or your mouth, you can't clean it up without getting your heart and your mind right. But I've had people say that. I just say whatever's on my mind. How's that working for you? Ephesians 4.29 says, do not let any do not let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth. Any. James 1.26. If you claim to be all spiritual and all religious, and you claim to be a man or woman of faith, but, 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 don't control your tongue. You are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. He's basically saying if you can't master your mouth, you're not grown up, you're jacked up. I mean, if you go to church every Sunday and you still gossip and slander, your religion and faith is worthless. I mean, if you go to church every Sunday and you still spread rumors about other people, and sl your faith is, is not good. If you're known to exaggerate stories and you have to be the hero and, and, and you are not telling the truth, he goes, you realize that's worthless? So one of the signs of spiritual maturation is I'm trusting God in the midst of all these problems. I'm not saying it's easy, possible. I'm sensitive and love other people and I'm able to manage my mouth. And so again, I've used that acrostic think before you talk. Is it truthful? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? T-H-I-N-K. Is this truthful? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? And I was thinking this week, like just... Over the years, before you run your mouth, cash money, listen to me. Have the right attitude and the right motive. Have the right timing. Be at the right place. Don't blow somebody up in the midst of a, don't Don't do that. You, you know what I know. It's not what goes in one ear and out the other that messes us up. It's what goes in one ear and gets all scrambled up in our mind and comes out of our mouth that screws us up. If we really did have the ability with a lot of nonsense and a lot of the unnecessary noise just to let it go through one ear and out the other, it'd free us up a lot. But once it gets in there and it gets all scrambled up and... Oh, here's number four, which I believe kind of builds on it. Being a peacemaker is important to me. Hey, you know, one of the ways you can tell that you're growing, that you're, you, you become a peacemaker instead of a troublemaker, but you've become a peacemaker and not, 
just a peacekeeper. <laughs> and we'll break this down when we get to chapter 4. But he says, what causes, what causes most of the fights and arguments among you? Don't they come from your desires and all this battling going on inside of you? You want something and you don't get it, so you kill, you covet, because you cannot have what you want. You argue and you fight and you do not have because you do not ask God. It's, you've got to ask the question, am I a peacemaker or am I a troublemaker? Do I really go back to Ephesians 6 and put on the shoes of peace, and when people see my feet, do they think, here comes peace, or do they look and go, here comes trouble? Where you at? You like to argue? You like to fight? You get your feelings hurt real easy? Are you very defensive? Are you known to hurt other people's feelings pretty quick? You sit there and go, why is there so much conflict between me and my spouse, my kids, my friends? Why, why is there so much conflict between me and God? And I've seen people just go in and out of crazy just relationships, and as soon as they start to bond a little bit, it blows up, and I've heard people go, you're not going to believe that person, and then you're not going to believe about this person. Hold on, you've been in 20 relationships, and they've all blown up, and I'm not really that good at math, but I've noticed that there's one common denominator. It's you. I've just noticed I'm not that smart. Didn't go to tech, didn't get my engineering degree. And this is what it says, two things. The number one cause of conflict is selfishness. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasure. Selfishness, pride, ego. It destroys selfishness. I want what I want right now. I'm going to have it my way. Stop, stop. Proverbs 13, 10 out of the message says, arrogant. Prideful, know-it-alls, cause trouble. But wise men listen to counsel. And I can promise you that selfishness and pride and your ego, it's going to cause conflict at home, at work, at school, at church, wherever you go. God is opposed to the proud. He gives grace to the humble. What's the cause? It's selfishness. And another one he says is judging other people. Don't speak evil against others. If you criticize each other and condemn each other, you're actually criticizing and condemning God's law. Who are you to judge? Your job's to obey God. It's like, don't judge. You're like, why? Because one, you're not God. I'm not God. Do you realize that when we judge other people, we're playing God? I know over the last 6,000 plus years since I said, let there be light, things have been rolling along, but I really need your help because I've hit a wall here. God's never said that to me. I'm going to use a finite fool to deal with other finite fools instead of 
No. He's infinite. He's all-knowing, omniscient. You know one of the truths as we deal with life? We don't have all the facts. There's always like one or two more pieces of an individual story. If we had it, it would just blow our minds. Why do they do that? Why are they hurting the way they are? Or, or, or why are they so sad? And you get one or two more pieces of information. It's like, well, what happened? Well, I was abused or my child died or I was rejected and my spouse left me. or There's just tons of pain things and we look at people, and if we're not careful, we will make judgment, and God goes, stop, you don't have all the facts. And even if you did, it's still not your place. And you know one of the things I do not know, and I know this jacks things up, I don't know the other person's motive. We think sometimes, well, I know what their motive is. You don't even know on a good day what your motive totally is. James goes, stop it. Don't, don't, don't judge. Love. You're going to go through crisis, but as soon as you go through crisis and you decide, I'm not going to be sensitive, and you start running your mouth, you're going to get to the place of judgment. It's almost like this thing just, man, this is a brilliant little book to read through. And it's anointed and it's practical and... Number five, if I I start to really mature in my faith and start to walk with Christ, I become become more patient and I become more prayerful. Chapter five, verse seven, be patient. That word long-suffering, be slow to boil. Don't blow your top too quick, conscious. And then he goes, "Be, be patient. Just wait for the coming of the Lord. Hey, hey, you ever looked at the farmer? He waits for the produce, being patient about it. Be, be patient. Strengthen your hearts. The coming of the Lord is near. Here's another key word. Pray. Pray for one another. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Patient. Prayer. Patient. Prayer, that's a patient person. And the farmer has to be patient. Study him. When I lived in Indiana watching all those guys out there with their combines and tillering up the soil and all those big old John Deere combine harvesters and everything that they, they, they would ride on, I mean, they go out there and they tiller it. Then they plant the seed. And then they pray. And they wait, and they pray that God would bring rain, and they wait, and they pray, and they wait, and he's expecting, oh, it's coming up out of the ground, and he's expecting for it to grow. But I remember we lived there in Indiana that one year, and they went like 100 days with no rain, and the drought, and it's like, man, it's absolutely frying everything that we've got. Man, I've lost all my profit from last year in this seed, and it is, I don't have anything. But they wait. You know why? You know why he uses this as a, a point of illustration? It's because there's no such thing as an overnight crop. 
You want God to answer your prayer now. You demand and you get mad when God doesn't come through immediately. And there's so many people that throw the towel in. Well, I'm praying for a miracle. You didn't finish your statement. Praying for a miracle now. When it doesn't happen now, it's like we want the crop now. We throw the seed in the ground and pray now, bam, now God. And we bought into this microwave society that is just bam, two minutes, bam. There, And God goes, wait, press in, lean in, be patient, wait. Well, I've been praying for this person for five years. Just keep praying. Stay with it. How, how do you know what God's doing in their life? You didn't get it right away. You were stubborn. You were reckless. You were callous to him. Keep praying. Keep planting seed. Keep, keep watering it. Keep believing. Come on. Let me wrap. Here's my questions in close. How do you handle problems? Okay. That's what we're going to start diving in next week. How do you handle problems? Are you spirit-controlled and spirit-filled when crisis too? Are you sensitive to other people, to their needs, their hurts, their pains? Three. Again, just to the two or three of y'all in this room that this applies to, can you manage your mouth? How you doing there? Do you speak when spoken to or do you speak when spoken through? Man, if we could learn to speak when spoken through by the Lord, oh, it would save us. Are you a peacemaker? You fly off the handle, you get mad, or, or do you bring shalom into the space? Are you willing to pray and wait? How's your prayer life? Do you trust God? How patient are you right now? Ask the Lord to grow you up in whatever he shows you that needs to be dealt with. Repent of it. And go, God, I, I want to know you. I just don't want to go through the motions. Let's pray.